I'm one of the vicars, and it is such a treat to be with you guys. I've spent the last few weeks being at other churches, um, but there is nothing like being home. I'll tell you that much, there's nothing like being home, and, and so I am really excited uh, to be with you guys. We're talking about a brand new series, uh, uh, looking at the Exodus, looking at the story of Moses. Uh, I'm really excited about Moses. Because in Moses, what we see is a man who, whose life doesn't always go to, to the way he planned it. He's used in extraordinary ways. He's used in extraordinary measures. But he doesn't really plan out his life in a way that you or I would. But time and time and time again, when disaster strikes, God steps up. When it seems like there is no way forward, God provides a way. When it seems like it is impossible to advance, God steps up and delivers them time and time again. I don't know if you've ever beaten the odds on, on anything. Any lottery winners in the house? Any, uh, I, I, I always love a raffle, but never win. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you, have you ever beaten the odds? Have you ever, like, you know, gone for an interview and you've seen the other sort of 10 candidates and thought, there is no way I'm getting it, and you managed to blag the job? Or have you ever sort of, like, have you won the lottery when it comes to your spouse? Like, do you think, like, yeah, I beat the odds there? I don't know if you've been in, like, yeah. Come on, Sarah. Uh, and oh, I don't know if you've ever sort of like had like a, a I've seen to like have these near miss traffic accidents. It's probably more about me than about you. Uh, and I thought like, oh my gosh, don't tell Laura. I uh, beat the odds there. Uh, I remember um, going sailing when I was like, I think I was probably 19 and beating the odds. I like to windsurf and uh, my parents took us on the last family holiday, which is beautiful. Uh, we were in one of these Greek islands. It was gorgeous, you know, like perfect weather, you know, like sort of l- like late mid-20s. Uh, the sea is just crystal clear. The wind is perfect. The beach is a bit stony, but mostly all right. And uh, the food was incredible. It was just the most like beautiful, fun week I think I- I- I'd had for a long time. And then basically I got windsurfing. I'd learned to get, you know, like I was a bit fitter and a bit more kind of like agile back then. And like I, I kind of like, I learned to windsurf pretty well. You know, I got into a harness, I got planing. I managed to kind of lean back. It was all good. Second to last day, I remember the guy said like, the wind is really strong today. You're going to struggle. So I was like, that's fine. That's fine. You know, I get out. They were like, get out, have a play. If it doesn't work, we'll find something else to do. So I got out and it was really blowy. So like, you know, I'd get up, it would blow me over. I kind of, would, so I, eventually I was like, this is ridiculous. Got back in and I said, well, well, what else can I do? And they said, have you ever tried sailing? And I was like, uh, seems easy. Like a bunch of old men in a, you know, with a little boat hat sitting out there. I could sail, you know, like, and, um, and so the guys were like, well, do you know how it works? I was like, yeah, that's the steery thing. And pull that thing in and it goes faster, right? And they were like, uh, yeah. You know, like, gave me this boat. I think it was like a little laser thing. And um, basically, like, got out there. And I remember, like, it was really fun. And I realized, you know, like, when you kind of, like, pull the sail thing in and you lean back and the boat tilts back, it wasn't a bunch of old men's sport. It was really good fun. And uh, I remember having a whale of of time. But I just kept capsizing. You know, like, the boomy thing would, like, swing around and knock me off. And, like, I would try and do one of those about turn things, you know, like, push the thing about. And basically, every time I'd fall in. But there was one time, right, I was like, ah, I'm a bit bit bored of, like, having to climb on the, the, the dagger thing and, like, rewrite the boat and kind of do that stuff all over again. So I was like, I'm going to go in. I'll work out something else. And uh, I was heading in pretty fast to, to shore, and the guys are like flagging me down, being like, no, 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 we're not ready for you. So I try and do the about thing, and the boom comes, hits me off the boat. And, and what happened is, is the little boy 
baggy thing at the top of the sail that had been there to stop the, the boat from capsizing, um, that had fallen off. I'd capsized too much. I'd broken the, the buoy thing, and it'd come off. And so rather than it just kind of tilting over and going like 90 degrees, what happened is, is that it'd gone all the way. And, and where I sort of landed on the sail, it, it sort of like started filling with water, and this boat started like not just going halfway, but it went all the way. I think it's called turtling. Like I kind of like, it was, it was just an absolute nightmare. And I was trying to stop it. And, and as the boat sort of did the far, like the final little tilt over, I, I, it just sort of pulled me under. And what I hadn't realized is that when I was pulling things about and like mucking about with it and not knowing what I was doing, I'd got my foot caught in, in the ropes. And I'd gone underneath this boat. And I remember the panic. Have you been in that moment? The panic is real. Like I remember like, you know, I, I, I knew the water. I was confident in the water enough to like, to like make a bit of a plan. And, um, you know, I realized I could, like the last thing you do is panic and say, um, I realize there's a little bit of oxygen in the bottom of the, on the bottom of the boat. So I'm not trying to get some of the oxygen. I'm banging on the hole, like going crazy. Yeah, like trying to get any attention I possibly can do. I'm trying to rock the boat. But when you rock the boat, obviously what happens, the air comes out of it. So I'm, I'm just panicking in this moment, uh, you know, and it feels like I've been there for hours. Realistically, it was like probably like 90 seconds. But I was under there banging about, and this, I just heard the whine of a motor and these um, beautiful Greek men with, with snorkels on jump out and cut out this, um, the leatherman cut out the ropes. And I kind of like bobbed to the surface looking really ashamed of myself. And uh, they saved my life. But I think this story about Moses is, is, is beautiful because it is a demonstration of how God does that practically for us. Time and time and time again, Moses gets into these situations where there is no way out and God delivers. Where it is not humanly possible to deliver what he delivered and and he's in hopeless situations and God makes good of it. He is the God who provides. When it feels like there is no way, he is the God who steps in. When it feels like our situation is too great to handle, he is with us. He's the God who sees our obstacles as opportunities to provide the miraculous in the day-to-day. He is the God who steps in, who uses those who have weaknesses and insecurities and doubts and fears and worries and inadequacies and instability and character flaws and shortcomings. Those who are oppressed, those who are downcast and puts them on a trajectory that will change the course of the world. You know, when the way of the world is to look for a rich, beautiful leader. That's not the way of God. I find that so refreshing in this day and age that that what God is looking for is not what we look for. It's not in the giftings. It's not in the skills. It's not in the qualifications. God is doing something new. And when we stop making it about us and we make it about him and we give him space to move he moves in the miraculous and the mundane when we choose to have spiritual vigor and we put in the hours behind the scenes and we engage in spiritual disciplines and we choose each and every day to know him better and become more like him something shifts because we give him space to have those moments where he transforms us he moves us into a new new sphere of influence I'm going to be honest with you. You know, looking out here, you guys are an impressive bunch. You guys have done some incredible things. There's some people in this room, there's many people, all of you guys do stuff that I could not do on a day-to-day basis. There are many talents, there are many skills. 
There are many things that we've done in our own ability. But my prayer for this series on Moses is that we would see past Moses' natural leadership capabilities, although they are limited. And we look upon what the Lord has delivered. And we allow ourselves to question, Lord, if you did it for Moses, what are you going to do for me? If you did it then, what are you going to do now? If you did it for him, what are you wanting to do through me? See, the story of Moses, it starts like this in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read from, uh, we're going to basically read a whole chapter of the Bible. If you haven't read your Bible for a long time, this is the first time in church. Uh, this is uh, basically a whole chapter. So sorry. Actually, that's a lie. I'm not sorry at all. Uh, this is uh, Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, and then we're going to jump down to 22 and read uh, 3. So this, then a new king whom Joseph meant nothing. Joseph was uh, basically a, a really great guy in, in the Israelites or the, or the Hebrews as they're called here. The people of God, basically. He was a, he was a guy who um, impressed one of the old kind of Egyptian leaders and, and worked his way up in his household, was a slave and then became a leader. But he meant nothing to the new guy in power of Egypt. And he said, look, said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave this country. Let me jump down to 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. Blood every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that the son was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with pitch and tar, and then placed the child in it and put it amongst the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket amongst the reeds, and she sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw a baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This is a foretaste of what God will do in Moses' life. It's a foretaste of what God will do in our lives, in the life that you and I receive from God. See, Moses' story, it starts like this. Weak, needy, vulnerable. It starts like this. Why? Because I think God wants to remind us time and time again that he is for us. That he is the God of the needy and the weak. He's the God of the oppressed. He's the God of the guys who are not sure. He is the God who takes our weakness, our vulnerabilities, and he allows that to be his power zone. Time and time again, he shows that he is the God of the hopeless, whether it be people or situations or circumstances. God is there. Yeah, there's one thing about babies, isn't there? I was going to say they're cute. That's not true, is it? The one thing about babies is that, yes, it is. She said that. Someone. You, Laura. Okay. Sometimes they're cute. Uh, why did you, I've gone off task. Uh, one thing about babies is they are not discreet. They're not discreet at all, are they? Like, when, when a baby's not happy, 
everybody knows about it. We went camping a few weeks ago with the Chesworths, and uh, we were just worried about one thing. It wasn't the camping. We love camping. It wasn't the rain. We don't mind camping in the rain. I actually quite like the sound of, you know, hitting the canvas. It wasn't like the cold. It wasn't the outdoor living. It wasn't the, you know, cooking out in the field. We love all that stuff. It was what happens when Levi, our 18-month-old, wakes up in the middle of the night and screams. You've been there with kids, like camping with kids is like sort of fun, but sort of not fun. And you kind of like think like, if they scream now, everybody, everybody in the campsite is going to hear about it. See, Moses is crying and she connects the, the visual of the basket with the sound. And she takes pity. She's so moved by this sight that she takes him in. This is not the scene of an impressive warrior. This is not the scene of a leader who you would want to take the people who are enslaved out of slavery. This is not who you would choose to lead your people. But Moses, Moses will be one of the most instrumental men in history, in the Christian faith, in the world. But he is born into a situation that seems dire. God uses these situations time and time again. He's the most unlikely people in the most unlikely place. Moses is helpless and he's pathetic. The basket gets pushed out into the water and in that moment, a whole host of prayers get answered. You know, as he pushes him under, just imagine a little wave could just tilt the basket. Imagine if the tar and the, the hay and the blanket get wet, it might sink. You know, the reason why she, she's nestled him in, in, in the reeds is because that was the place that the crocodiles liked least. The Nile is infested with crocodiles. It might be the fact that he could be swept downstream to his, his peril. You know, this is good news for you and I to remember that God chooses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely places to be the ones that change the course of the world both on a micro scale and a macro scale. But this is the grand narrative. Someone before the, um, two people before the service, you had these words, they said, like, I really feel God is wanting to show people again that he is with them in the small things. It's true. Yeah, like this is the macro level. But if you come down to the micro level, you see the way that he has those provisions time and time again. Who's he nursed by? It's not by a random woman. It's by his own mother. He's born into poverty, but he's nursed in the palace. He's nursed into privilege. He's given the world's best education of his day. He's taught sophisticated battle techniques. He's around influential, important people day in, day out in the, the palace. He's continually surrounded by men and women who are impressive and eventually he's given real power and real authority and his own little dominion to rule over. But he's not receiving his birthright. He's not receiving the people that he was born into, their treatment. No, no, he's adopted into a royal household and he is treated as a prince. What the enemy meant for harm, God turned for, for good. And as you hear this story, I want you to actively recall the way God is doing that in your life. Actively recalling the way that he has been moving and working. One of the greatest weapons that we have in our arsenary is, is gratitude. You know, if you don't 
Uh, it's a bit cliche, but if you don't form a, a gratitude journal, can I encourage you to do it? Just to scribble down your prayers on the back of a paper you can come back to or start journaling and come back week in, week out and think, oh my goodness, God, God spoke about that one. Oh my goodness, God provided for me there. And oh my goodness, God personally answered this prayer. Over lunch today, ask your families, hey, where has God been providing for you in the, in the small things? As you're cutting the grass, maybe not today, but tomorrow. As you're standing in the shower, as you're having times of, of prayer, Remind yourselves of the times that God has been providing for you again and again and plot his provision. Allow gratitude to, to be raised up and to spill out. There's a biblical commentator, a guy called Matthew Henry, and he says this, God takes special care of the outcasts of Israel because they are his outcasts. Moses seemed quite abandoned by his friends. His own mother does not own him, but now the Lord took him up and protected him. In times of extreme difficulty, it is good to venture upon the providence of the Lord. When life gets hard and uncertain and difficult, it is your duty to cling to the providence of God, to allow his protective care to be made really clear to trust in the fact of trial he has you. I'm going to be honest with you. Like many people in this room, Laura and I, we're really worried about the next increase in, in, in prices of electricity and gas and everything else. We live on a single stipend. You know, we don't enter you know, vicarhood thinking, I'm going to be rich and wealthy. You know, the, the vicar's salary is not a lot. And we're worried about it. But we have a choice. We have a choice whether or not we allow those things to dominate and to, and to sit in our thoughts. We have a lot, we, we, are we going to allow them to be the things that we worry about? Or are we going to allow this moment to be a moment where we say, God, I'm really looking forward to you paying my electricity bill. God, I'm really looking forward to you providing for me when I don't know how it's going to get paid. God, I'm really looking forward to getting in the car when it's empty and not sure how I'm going to top up and it being full. God, I'm really looking forward to having times where it's clear that you have provided for us in moments of insecurity. The people of God have always leaned not on their strength, but on the strength of their good God. We have to be the people who lean upon that knowledge, not in an intellectual way, but on a really practical way. When you feel hopeless, when you feel like you want to give up, when you feel like it's not working, when you feel like there is no one that understands your situation, no, that's not how God views it. That's not how he views your future. When it feels like there is no way that your marriage can succeed, or there's no way that you can connect with your kids, or you'll never meet the right person and get married, or you feel like you're stuck in a rut with your career, or you have no one else to turn to, or your health is always going to be an issue for the rest of your life. God says, not on my watch. He is the God of the impossible. He may not change your circumstance, but I promise he'll be with you in it. I promise he'll be the God who sees you like Moses, weak and vulnerable and needy, and he will shower his love upon you. Yeah, we've been so programmed and conditioned, haven't we, from day one to believe to be a secure leader, to be a secure person, you have to build something really great. Whether that be a marriage or a career or a family or a relationship or something that you will inherit, we need to build something great. Well, God chooses to use Moses as a baby in a time where he is 
powerless. Why? To demonstrate to us again and again that he is in control. That when we can do nothing for ourselves, he is at work. And I say this, because unless you're Tom Cruise in Maverick, life will get hard. You will feel, in, like, how is it that he is so, like, secure? It doesn't make sense, does it? How is it, like, even, like, facing, like, all that stuff that happens, he's like, I can still do this. Uh, I don't know. Like, but how is it that we can face times where we feel insecure and, and challenged? We can do it because the Lord is with us. You know, there are two temptations based on in insecurity. The first is the insecurity that God will not be with you, that God is not present. And the second is to give up in your calling. Your calling is to do whatever you are called to do, but bring the presence of Jesus with you whether it be nursing or banking or computer science or teaching or computer programming or photography or whatever it is that you do, parenting, your job is to bring Jesus' presence into that place. Ultimately, the only way that you'll feel that you are living your best life is when you seek out the difficult, tricky, unmapped places and roots of faith in your life where it takes boldness and confidence to rely upon the Lord. You know, to share your faith with your colleagues, your friends, your family. That takes boldness, doesn't it? To say, I, I may not know all the answers, but I do know but one. God is for me. God is with me. God loves me. God has a plan for you. God's desire for you is that you be in relationship with him. You know, I don't know all the answers, but I do know that God is the good God who is coming back to judge the living and the dead. He is the God who is raised from the dead. He is the God who models a most beautiful life more than we could ever dream or imagine, and he wants that for you and I. See, the only way to build real security is by allowing ourselves to enter this place of Moses and saying, Lord, I don't bring anything of my own accord. I lean upon you. I learn from you. I love you. I want you to be in control. See, before, before you've begun whatever you do, you've got to trust that God weaves into your story moments and opportunities to see his provision each and every day. Each and every day, whatever you do, you've got to trust that he is present and with you, that he is for you and wants you to succeed. Before you can do anything great, you have to trust that the story starts with God. Why? Because like Moses, we are adopted into a royal household. Like Moses, we are adopted into a royal family. John, one of Jesus' best mates, he says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, helplessly, Pharaoh's daughter plucks Moses out of the river. Helplessly, God picks you up when you cannot offer anything. She, she nurses him. She cares for him. She educates him. She brings him up. The same is true with God. His birthright was in the palace. Your birthright is in the kingdom of heaven. It says this, verse 10, she, Pharaoh's daughter, named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the 
water. See, how many of you know that your birthright comes from a water, not of birth, not of the Nile, but of baptism? How many know that this is your, your birthright? As you are baptized, if you haven't been baptized, I'd love to baptize you. If you haven't been baptized, know that that moment signifies an entering into a family, an entering into a kingdom. It's not a moment where everything is sorted. It's a moment where you say, I want to start. That's why we baptize our kids. That's why we baptize our youth. That's why we baptize our older people. Because we want all people to know that their birthright is found not in who they were born to or where they were born or the family, but they were born through God. So here's where I come into land. It's a short conclusion. Promise. God, I think, wants you to know this day that he is the God who, when it all seems helpless, is beautifully at work. He is the God who, when it seems like there is no way, makes a way. And he's the God who adopts you into a royal family. He doesn't just provide a way and leave you hanging. He provides a way and then he is with you consistently and constantly. Whatever you feel weak or insecure about, whatever it be, he is there. Human vulnerability is God's power zone. That's where he moves. That's where he works. That's the space that he inhabits where we see him moving again and anew. Do you want to stand? We're going to pray. Do you want to stand? We're going to pray.